people are so Love weird. Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and we're calling you from freezing Westchester County. We are really cold. But we have Deb Pines here uh, playing among us. And wait till you get to know Mimi because you're going to have to be careful because if you mess with Mimi Goldman, you're going to lose. <laughs> what can I say? So, hi. Welcome to MJ Network. And welcome to the freezing okay. weather. Uh-huh. Thank you for having me back, Fran. I'm always on. Oh, I'm glad we finally got to do this. (laughs) I have to announce everybody that this is the last one for 2021. You have gotten the last one for 2021, yes. And (laughs) I start back in January, and I'll announce which people are coming on in January, a lot of them. And we're booked. If anybody has a sh- um, an interview that they want, they better tell me now because I just closed April and I'm into May. I have nothing wow. from January. Well, I can't believe it either. Uh-huh. I just scheduled the last one for April. Yes, that's what they no, told me. Amazing. And my husband would tell you, I always like to have the last word. So, thanks. Thank you for that as well. The last word of <laughs> 2021. That's right. I left the best for last. Let me tell you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So tell us about A Plague Among Us. Give us a brief summary and then tell us about Mimi and how come she gets away with solving these cases. (laughs) Uh, Well, A Plague Among Us is the eighth book in my Chautauqua Murder Mysteries. And they all star Mimi Goldman. Uh, She's a New York City transplant who goes to the middle of nowhere, which is Chautauqua, New York. And uh, in this book and in many books uh, of the series, it starts with someone dying under mysterious circumstances. The locals who are more small townish usually say, oh, it's probably natural causes. In this one, the locals have been convinced that it's COVID who killed a very unpopular Mm. uh, newspaper editor. And Mimi's more suspicious. Uh, She generally follows clues to more clues and solves the crime. Um, In this, a sister uh, is suspicious and gets Mimi on board to start poking around. And um, she, you know, is relentless and, and figures out what happened. Well, my favorite character, <laughs> besides Mimi, oh, is my Sylvia. Yes. So how does she, how does she hook up with Sylvia, and tell us what she's supposed to be doing at the daily that sometimes she forgets to do? Okay. Well, Mimi uh, has a job. She's she besides amateur sleuth, besides being sort of Chautauqua's Miss Marple. 
Uh, Mimi has a job at the local newspaper. Uh, she's the sports editor of the local newspaper. And her sidekick in the most recent ones, in the last three or four of them, is a even older sidekick. And this, she's in her 90s, Sylvia. And Sylvia is unstoppable. At first began as kind of a hobby for her because um, Sylvia's daughter felt Sylvia was depressed. She'd lost her second husband, her dog, her best friend. And so she asked Mimi if Mimi could find a job for her mother who seemed depressed, Sylvia, at the time. And Mimi said, sure, you know, I'll ask her to help me with this sleuthing job that she had at, at that particular time. And Sylvia's a natural. She, uh, she nailed it. And the two of them uh, have been working together since. Um, Mimi, because she grew up in Brooklyn and um, spent most of her life in New York City, she never really learned to drive. So Sylvia is her wheelman and her, uh, Sherlock, you know, her, her Watson, her number two. And um, the two of them, they get into trouble. They always seem over their heads. They seem underestimated. The police resent them. They call them geezer gumshoes. And uh, quite often, you know, they, uh, they, they show up the police and, you know, solve the crimes before the local police do. And I'm sure the police do not like that. Yeah, uh, Mimi has some. <laughs> Mimi has some friends among the police, especially the former sheriff. But the mm-hmm. current sheriff, and especially a few of his detectives, they really resent uh, Mimi and Sylvia, two older women, uh, you know, proving them wrong. So in this one, once again, the police, um, either out of laziness or uh, just, you know busyness or whatever, they decide that Al Martin really did die of COVID and that the sister who's suspicious, you know, has no grounds for it. And so she's frustrated, the sister Shannon Martin, uh, because the police stay out of it. So she turns to Mimi, the local sleuth, and says, could you poke around and see if there's more to it? And so Mimi and Sylvia dive in. Uh, and they realize not only does Al have a ton of enemies, he also had a fortune that somebody's going to inherit, and uh, somebody had been playing terrible pranks, nasty pranks on Al in the end. So all this makes them start poking around and seeing if, huh, maybe it's wrong. Maybe he didn't die of COVID. Maybe it really was foul play. Well, there's a, there's a lot of COVID going around, I could tell you that. That's scary. <laughs> yes. I know. Yes. But you, the, the, uh, the, the, what gives you an alert is that they, nobody shed a tear at his funeral. Nobody cared. That's true. Nobody, I, yes. He was a very unpopular figure, <laughs> which makes Mimi more inclined to dive in because she thinks, mm-hmm. okay, there's some questions, but also there's a slew of people who would want him gone. And there's an as awful lot of, of COVID, people. Yes. 
as far as the COVID, I, I would mention, you know, my day job is I'm a copy editor for the New York Post. And I mm. saw, I edited a story about um, a guy who went to court wondering if, you know, his, his the caregiver was blaming a death on COVID uh, when mm. really it was, you know, foul play. It turned out in that case to be COVID. Um, an autopsy proved it was COVID. And so that just gave me an idea, like, what if somebody was trying to hide a murder by mm-hmm. claiming, you know, and so that's where I got the idea. But in that case, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't foul play. That's scary. You know, we, we yeah, remember the George, the George Floyd, whatever. And I'm surprised yes. that the cops that didn't try, that tried to that kill him didn't get COVID because George Floyd was, was diagnosed as positive when they did the autopsy. And it's like, how could they wow. not... I was hoping they would all get it because they yeah. deserved it. So, right, being so did, close to him. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I mean, it's scary. This whole thing is scary. So what right. did Alan invent Definitely. and why did he invent it? Uh, let's see. So the Al was the, uh, you know, way back when, when he was younger. I mean, he's killed uh, later after he's already retired. But when he was younger... He inherited a medical device company from his dad, and Mm. it seems like he was always sort of the guy in his dad's shadow, and he wanted to, you know, come up with his own device, and it's a kind of mesh that I read about also online that turned out to be, um, you know, it's a... I don't know, after, uh, it's like a cure for, uh, a remedy for incontinence that women would have often after multiple childbirth. But it turned out that it, you know, this is a little complicated, but it got in, it got accepted as safe almost uh, through a loophole that's now been closed by, by the federal government. And it it was similar to another Mm. kind of mesh, so they allowed this mesh, and it turned out to be a disaster for a lot of women. And so that's another area that Al had enemies. Not only was did he have enemies because of his current situation where he's retired in Chautauqua, writing nasty stuff about people in a satiric newspaper that he, you know, he thought was funny. So he made enemies name-calling recently, but more seriously – he created a medical device that was dangerous for women. So if there were victims, uh, they would hate him. And also his uh, brother, one of his brothers, um, mm. was at the company too and really took the fall for that product. Um, the product turned out to be a disaster and even though it seems, you know, in retrospect that Al Martin was uh, was the one responsible, a younger brother was put in charge of that product. And when there were terrible consequences, uh, he, he took the fall. And so another big area of people who would hate mm. Al would be anybody connected to that brother and anyone who suffered from that product. So there's like history to him. Yeah. 
So well, it's sort of guilt by association, but poor him, I know. Yeah. That was yes. So, but who is she? This is so. amazing because I mean, not not like not so much like um, Jessica Fletcher or anybody like that. But she's yeah. her family. Everybody supports the fact that she does that. That she's doing that. They don't seem to yes. have a problem yes. with it. <laughs> Well, in the a little earlier, the husband to be uh, was yeah. dubious and worried for her safety, and uh, you know, and so in one of the earlier books, she broke up with him because he was meddling, saying you're done, you know. And now I think he just goes with it and is a good sport about it. But um, her son definitely almost has the same curious gene that she has, her son Jake. And he's grown up now. In the first book, he's a teenager. But her son Jake is a computer whiz. So, I mean, Mm. those are the tasks that she sort of offloads to him because uh, he's so good at it. And it seems like even when he says, "Ah, I'm not going to get involved, he seems to just be as curious as his mother, you know, that they, they sort of share this desire to like get to the bottom of things and feel, you know, unsatisfied if if there's a mystery out there that needs to be solved. But well, yeah, my you're friend, right. yeah. they they humor her. Yes. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yep. I know. They they um, humor me a lot too. Yeah. Poor things, yeah. Well, she's reading another book, you. poor person. Um, it's like, (laughs) no, actually my husband's very glad that I do it. I have a husband who humors you. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he says, you know, he's glad that, Mm. he's glad that I'm doing this. He's glad you have the stores. You know, this way, no, this way I don't go into Marshall's or, you know, the stores are closing all over the place, but Marshall's better not closed. So I, if I go there, I go there when it opens, when there's nobody there. And okay, it takes me all yeah, about, about five minutes to get what I want to get, and that's it. So the fun part is, why did yes. you include the pranks? And why did the family think that he, the, the person was doing them, them saying, pranks are fun, if you don't hurt, get hurt. They really yes. are fun, though. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that it would look, you know, I wanted to keep the plague idea throughout. So, mm. you know, plague would, like, hit at many levels. So plague, like covid plague like a plague among us um yeah. a biblical reference all my books have like a biblical re- reference as the title and uh then i thought you know that that al martin in his satiric newspaper called people plagues he you know mm. he, he that was one of his put downs and so i thought okay if somebody was playing pranks on him like plagues like they put blood or red liquid in his bathtub like a you know blood the plague of blood uh then you might think okay there's somebody torturing him he wasn't just imagining that somebody's out to get him um and maybe it was one of these people he's been embarrassing in his newspaper or maybe just somebody who wants to have him have a taste of his own medicine or something you know, so there were there. He wasn't. There was a question: Was he really being tormented and plagued at the end? You know, and pranked, mm. or was he making it up just because he's an intent, attention seeker 
And if he was being pranked, maybe that person's the killer. So that's that's why I did it to have, you know, sort of him being the victim of plagues and also someone who has in his paper, you know, thought that's funny to call people plagues. So he oh. insults people. Yeah. And that is that's so cool. just another sign of who he is. Yeah, that he's mm. kind of a guy who thinks it's funny to um call people names in the newspaper. Well, there's a lot of people that do that. I think it's funny to play pranks on people mm-hmm. too. And yes. Sometimes yes. if the prank doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't cause them grief and it's just funny, that's one thing. But if you're playing a prank that's yes. gonna actually get somebody in trouble and I've had people try to do that at work or whatever. I get them right back. Yes. You can almost predict when somebody's going to do something nasty. That's wrong. So when yeah. Mimi confronts the family, hmm, this is interesting. What kind of a reception does he get? And what about the medical examiner? He wasn't an organ donor, so how come they were allowed to cremate him? Uh, they cremated him because he had because they thought he had COVID, or yeah. the killers wanted to hide, you know, uh, and pretend he had COVID. So it was pretty er- it was early-ish in the COVID days, and everybody was freaked and uncertain, you know, about what to do with things, mm. and so you know, I think the hospital just would rather go along with the view of cremate him in a hurry and let's not have this body around and be a risk to us. So, I mean, most everybody believed he had COVID and, uh, you know, they wouldn't donate organs of someone with COVID. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah. So, but when Mimi confronts the family, uh, you know, everybody seems guilty uh, they part, and if some of it is just is maybe guilt that they um, didn't treat him well, or they didn't care for him, and or they hated him, and are just wanting his money, but not necessarily guilt of killing someone, you know. But uh, so so she can read their, you know, it can be ambiguous. She can read their icy reception as they just don't want to be bothered or they certainly don't want to talk about this relative nobody liked so mm. or they're guilty so you know she uh it's ambiguous enough that it can keep the mystery going because um sometimes people don't talk to the sleuth because they're guilty of killing somebody or sometimes mm. they don't talk to the sleuth just because they don't want to talk to them. You know, it's a waste of time or, you know, they're guilty feeling about something else. And so the aim is just to, uh, to muddy the waters a bit and make it look like maybe they're not talking to her, you know, for one reason or another, maybe they're the killer. So the whole time I'm just trying to sort of, keep many balls in the air so you think maybe she did it maybe he did it maybe you know mm. so and so did it and um it's just like to try to be you know my hero agatha christie with just like lots of characters and and then you wonder like who did it 
So well, lately I've been reading some. Strategies. Most of the time, I don't try to figure out who did it, except that you the don't. last couple okay. of books. The last couple of books, I could tell you on the first page who did it. Not okay. Well, after reading yeah, a thousand million no, I, books, yeah, yeah, I, I get, I get it. But so we have his yes. ex-wife Amy, and we have Kerry. Yes. Two very suspicious yes. people. Yes. I'm trying to make everybody, you know, suspicious enough that you think they might have done it, but you know, not overly uh, evil. So it's clear cut. But the ex, uh, the estranged wife. You know, he really treated her badly, no surprise. Mm. Um, you, She's landed with another guy, so you could possibly think, okay, was that too quick? Did she have that going, you know, and and maybe uh, she got rid of him to get him out of the way so she could be mm. with the other guy? You think, you know, you think, is it possible? Or is she a straight-up victim and maybe... Uh, you know, that's why she, uh, you know, revenge kind of thing. Um, she acts like a rose. She's a real estate lady, and she's, you know, like a sunny, salesy type. And so you wonder if she's just a fake, you know, and that therefore she's able to hide whatever criminality might be behind that. So, I mean, I was trying to make her mm. just, you know, a total salesy type so you could think okay but she definitely has uh was mistreated by al and so she could she could surely be a good suspect and usually and the spouse is the number one suspect anyway so so uh, she's a sus she's a, hot, a suspect high on people's list and then mm-hmm. um carrie the aide uh gradually you realize huh she sort of wormed her way into this job to be the home health aide, to be the cleaning person. Um, and who is she? And at first you think, oh, she was just hired um, because they needed somebody right away. And Al was sick and he was sick, um, you know, and she was there and that was that. And that the uh, Al, you know, is, impetuous as he is had hired had fired i'm sorry the amish cleaning lady but then you see and i'm not giving away a lot to say Mm -hmm. that one of the suspicions when you first think maybe carrie did it maybe the aide did it is uh she told the amish cleaning lady she was fired but she actually hadn't been fired she's just pushing her aside to get this job now, is that because Carrie needs a job, you know, which every a lot of people do then? Or is that because she wants to be in this household for some reason? So, you know, I'm trying to make everybody seem like a suspect and then in the end just pick who done it. But, yeah, she's a suspicious one, and she's always wearing a mask. Carrie the aide never takes off her mask. And... um you know, where some people are just looser about it, you know, especially at home. Um, she wears her mask all the time. And and the wife, I want her to be a suspect because she was wronged by Al. My husband wears his mask all day long, too. I think he's trying to hide his face from the okay. girls on the wall. 
No, okay. they, 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 will, they, will, uh, they will go after him. It's hysterical. But, um, uh, yeah, I just uh, wear the mask to cover my face in general so nobody sees it. As a matter of fact, it's funny. <laughs> Dick Belsky was on my – we were doing a panel yes. last week, and he said, you know, why and don't I you do Dick one Belsky. with Zoom? Yeah. I love him. Mm. He said, why don't you do one with Zoom or why yes. don't you do one with YouTube? I said, first of all, I did hair and makeup before this before this one, so I look fine. No, hair and makeup is important. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. But um, I did it myself, of course, whatever. I try. And yeah. um, I said, then people would have to see me, and that wouldn't be good. I said, no, no. Oh. So, it was, it, it's, it's, no. it's hilarious. No. You know what it is? You walk outside and you say, oh, God. And I see all these people looking so sad. But you can't really tell if they're sad. There's a new um, law now up here, finally. They're enforcing the mask yeah. law because of this stupid Omicron, whatever yes. the heck it is. So right. I actually, right. yeah, I won't walk in into a store. As a matter of fact, I wanted to go and get some rolls this morning. And I wouldn't go into the deli because the guys weren't wearing masks. So. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on the boss, you know, the managers, how strict they are about enforcing it. But, yeah, well, they are the um, managers and they are yeah, the boss. It's another the new, boss. new scare. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just another new scare with this new uh, variant. And um, yeah, I know. This book takes place in. 2020. I always so when it's when it first I'm, started I'm the the plague. Yeah, so I'm always a year behind. Like I'm I'm writing a book a year in the series, and the one I'm working on now is set in 2021. But 2020, um, some people did wear masks all the time. So the aide, you could think in the story, is either mm-hmm. acting suspiciously by always wearing a mask or mm-hmm. just being cautious. So I'm just trying to make some of the things ambiguous. Like, is she guilty or isn't she guilty? It's it's scary. This is so scary. My whole family had it. I mean, yeah. I My whole family had oh. it in Florida. So why are the brothers yeah, and Carrie fixed on videos about plagues? That was interesting because I read all the ones. I read all the ones about the plague. So how did you choose the one? Uh, so the, I love the that. lectures about the plagues. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so Chautauqua is a is a real life place. I didn't make it up, and it's in Western New York. It has a history um, of starting a movement at the turn of the century that was called the Chautauqua Movement, and it was um, where it was like continuing education for adults. And so what they do still to this day, Chautauqua in Western New York, is they have a nine-week summer season of lectures, concerts, church services, you know, and other activities. And so last mm. summer when it was um, – so they have these lecture series every year, and I try to put a lecture series in each book. So, But I make up the series and try and make it relevant to the, to the book that I'm working on. So the one last year, uh, the series – the lectures were remote. They were held virtually instead of in the amphitheater that's in Chautauqua, that's the usual main gathering point for concerts and for everything. And so last year's, I pretended the lecture series was about pandemics that changed the world. And so interspersed with the um, mystery, you'd have moments where some of the parties in the story are listening to today's lecture, which would be about smallpox or AIDS or... Um, 
you know, the plague from medieval times. And so I did a little, I did a little research to put the lectures in between the story. So one of my books is Fruit of Lies. Yeah, I had about lies, like the lecture series. I pretended it was about lying, lying in Mm. politics, lying in uh, literature, lying, you know. And um, another year I did uh, The Deadly Sins. And the lectures were about the deadly sins. And this year's, I haven't. I'm, I'm sort of narrowing it down. I haven't. I'm working on the story, but I haven't done the lecture series yet. That's what makes so it interesting it's, because it's not, you know, the same kind of mystery book. They're all the same. Every one of them is the same. Thank and you. So, and it's, okay. Well, you know what it is too. You have a main character. This is a question I've asked a lot of authors. And they have a main character, and the main character does a specific thing. But if you make the main character do the specific thing the same way, just another another plot with the same character, I go like, why me? What am I? What did I do? I need root canal. Okay. Uh, so seriously, yeah, so right. you don't get that from Mimi because you never know what she's going to do, ever. Well, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm as you know, I'm no. Grisham or, you know, James Patterson, I'm not a bestseller, but I have like a little following in Chautauqua, which is where the books are set. And, you know, I'd love to have a following beyond Chautauqua, but where the books are set, uh, people, you know, write me or I might be walking around the lake there, which is something I really like to do. And somebody once drove up to me and they yelled, see any, see any bodies? You know, because they they know me as the mystery writer there in a small place. And so another thing is somebody wrote me and they wrote, is Mimi, you know, her name, Mimi, you, you, me, Deb Pines. (laughs) So I know all the mystery writers are asked the same thing, like, is the character really you, right? And so Mm -hmm. I always say she's me, but younger, braver, and prettier. And uh, we do share some common ground. And so she was a copy editor for the New York Post, and I am a copy editor for the New York Post. So I give her a little bit of my background. And I was born in Brooklyn, but I actually didn't grow up there. But I, Mimi was. Uh, Mimi grew up there uh, with her grandparents who were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. And um, I set her in the place where I would have grown up had I stayed, but I moved to Florida with my mother and brothers when my parents split. And so um, anyway, I go back to the old neighborhood where I would have grown up, and I give her a story a little bit like my best friend growing up. So I am not the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, but my friend was the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And so I give her a little bit of that backstory, and it, maybe I haven't done much of it in the recent books. Mm. Early, you hear a little more about Mimi's upbringing, but its aim is to show you a little bit about why she feels so strongly about right and wrong and seeking justice. Because as far as is she me, I mean, a lot of times I would have quit 
and been deterred, you know, so much sooner than Mimi. She's relentless, and you wonder, you know, when her life's in danger or she's threatened, you know, come on, why don't you drop it? But I wanted to give her some more of a reason for being sort of obsessive in chasing justice. It's like, oh, let me tell you. So why does Shannon, this was really amazing because, hmm, why does Shannon disappear? And what message does Mimi get? And they pull a prank on her, too. I want to smack their heads. Really, now. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to pull a prank on them. So Shannon comes. She's all fired up to, like, get to the bottom of this, you know, especially when her brother's, blow her off you know she wants she she yeah. wonders was Al killed or was did, was it really COVID she starts to think it wasn't COVID especially you know when everybody gives her sort of stonewalls her she the more people don't talk to her the more suspicious she is and she finds the uh you know the body was cremated she thought maybe she'd settle it quickly just get an autopsy boom, the body's gone. So she's getting more and more suspicious. She enlists Mimi and Sylvia. She gets their help. She pokes around herself. And I don't really want to say what she saw, but she no. saw something. Yeah, she saw something that made her think, oh, I think I should drop this. And so she leaves and she mm. even says to Mimi, drop it. I think it's covid but that's yeah. not convincing to Mimi. She, Mimi thinks, ah, I think that maybe somebody scared her off or maybe she saw something that makes her want to protect somebody. So it is one of those. And so she leaves, and now it's all on Mimi. And again, you know, if, if Mimi was somebody else, she might say, all right, the relative dropped it, why don't I? But yeah, well, um, she she's can't. just caught up in this. She, yeah, she can't. She's obsessive, and now she thinks she doesn't want someone to get away with it. You know, this is funny. I'm sitting here. Hmm. My brilliant hmm. brain going here. <laughs> yeah. You have you have a great character in Mimi, and Marilyn Levitin has Carrie. You know, she works in yes. a library. Everybody has like this main character that's definitely not a sleuth. So I'm thinking maybe in yes. May or June. To invite every all three of you to uh, whoever else there's a whole bunch of people like that just to talk about the the main character and how you got amateur size amateur sleuth yeah that would be great that because be I'm great. I'm thinking like I that would as, love as to be part of that thank you the, uh, that would be that great would be because it'll be fun. fun yeah because I, I wonder what Marilyn a library was she a librarian or no. She just picked yeah. that. Yeah. She was a librarian. Marilyn Levinson is a trip and a half, too. And Carrie Bradshaw and yeah. then Mimi. And then there's a few others that I have to look on my phone that, that, okay. are, that are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, see, I chose, um, you know, I mean, she does jobs I know, you know, is her day yeah. jobs. Mimi, same as me. You know, I mean, That's that right. I do my, I've been in newspapers all my life, like, like Belsky. Um I'm not retired yet, but I'm getting closer to that. But the uh, so Mimi being able to do a job, you know, I know, uh, makes it easier for me to write that part of it. And then the other stuff, 
you know, I, I interview people and I, there is a Chautauquan daily newspaper. I didn't make mm-hmm. that up either. Um, and they've had a mix of editors in my time writing these books. Some have found it fun to talk to me and tell me about life at, at the newspaper, invited me to the office. Some have been hostile. <laughs> they don't want mm. to be involved in a murder. And one of the books, the editor of the daily was killed. So uh, they haven't, they, they weren't that happy about it. I mean, I meet people in Chautauqua who are total good sports, you know, and want to be featured. You know, they're, they're a lot of the places in the book are real places. So there really is mm. an Episcopal cottage where people can stay for a reasonable sum. A lot of them are Episcopalian, you know, and because uh, there's religious roots to Chautauqua. Anyway, when I went to the Episcopal Cottage, I wasn't sure what reception I would get if people would say, come on in, we'll show you around, or if they'll go, no, mm-hmm. we don't want to be in a murder mystery. But they were like, yes, come on in, take pictures. What do you need? You know, so some people find it fun to be in the, sort of in the book. Um, I would love to be in the I book. I make up the characters. I yeah, I make, make up the characters and some, you know, are just uh, don't want to be. I would say I in the first book, it's, you do. Okay, well, I let wanna, me I think wanna about be evil. that, Fran. <laughs> yeah, I know, because I'm always so good and everything. And, I, you know, I write from the point of view of a dead yes, person. Yes, you're so kind. So I've always wanted so to be a character in the book writer. that got away with it. I don't want to get caught. Mm. I want to get away with it. <laughs> all right, all right. So, like I said, you know, some people feel welcoming and some – and also – uh, because it's a small town, you know, people are always mm-hmm. uh, hap- uh, telling me, you know, if I got something wrong, and I correct the books if I get it wrong. Mm. The police station isn't 15 minutes from the, you know, restaurant. It's 10 minutes or five minutes, you know, and I actually go in and correct. I make a series of corrections if I get stuff wrong, um, which... I haven't recently, but the first couple books, people people wrote me with, you know, just minor, mainly geographic stuff, <laughs> you know, setting places. Should I keep rambling, Fran? The other thing I have. Well, I got it before I forget. Before yes, I forget, go. I don't want to forget. Um, January fourth, yes. psychotherapist yes. Dennis Palumbo and I, we're going to take on Winter Blues. On the 5th, oh, wow. I'm waiting for his publicist. I texted her to make sure that Mark Cameron is coming on a 12 with Chain of Command. On the 6th, we have oh, Michael wow. Embry. Okay. And now on the 10th, this is the secret that I gave away. The reason why I can tell you what a book is about, I learned a whole bunch, is because my college professor, when I took my reading master's, Dr. George Cavuto, tortured me. To 15 weeks, huh. and he yeah he made me learn how to tell what's the, the the surface structure of a book, but the deeper structure. So that's how come I learned everything. And Dr. Cavuto is coming on on January 10th, and we're going to talk about my field, reading. We're talking about how to assess students through problem solving, how to find their miscues, reading comprehension and listening comprehension, and how you de- determine the grade level. On the 12th, we have wow. Um, Ellen Power on the 18th. I'm hoping Stephen Manchester and on the 20th, Marsha Muller. 24th, 
Um, we have Maxine Thompson, yeah. And on the 26th, we have a uh-huh. panel of, we're going to talk about the last line. I don't know where I came up with that, but I oh. did. Oh, okay. You never know That's what I'm going to I can't have, That's you know, really ordinary good. things like, the why did you come a writer? I don't really care. So, yeah. I know you did research. The last what line. happens to Mimi at yes. the end? And what about Terry Martin? What about her? Let's see. Uh, how much should I say about the end? But uh, Don't say too much because we don't want people. <laughs> we have people that are listening on the line. We don't want, we want them to read the book. Yeah. I I think that I'll just say at the end there's a showdown between, yeah. you know, Carrie and Mimi. And, uh, you know, they, they have a, a confrontation. And uh, it actually even becomes physical. Um, Carrie is, you know, in her 20s. And Mimi now is in her 50s um, or early 50s. And Mimi is no physical match for Carrie I think Carrie's just trying to struggle and get away from her, not really yeah. Mimi, but they do uh, scuffle, and it's just, I tried to make, again, Mimi be relentless, you know, just like you'd think she would just let the girl get away, but um, she keeps dragging her down by her foot, or uh, maybe, you know, having people nearby to assist. And so I'll just say it's a showdown and not say how it ends. How about that? That's good. Now, the other is all when right. all is said and done, I hope she feels satisfied. But what does the people, the editor of the paper think about what she's doing? Doesn't he get annoyed at all? Like, what, why aren't you going to come to work? Yes. Why aren't you going to do this? Yes, I know. He's been a recurring character for the last X number of books, too. And sometimes he's more annoyed. Uh, may, I forget if he's not so annoyed in this one, but he definitely needs her to do her job. So that's mm. usually one of the competing things is um, she's, uh, you know, she has work responsibilities. Oh, yeah, in this one he's annoyed that she has not taken on her additional job. So in this one, because the newspaper shorthanded, She's supposed to not just do sports. She's supposed to cover the opera. And she keeps putting that off. And maybe she's at a moment where she's going to interview someone important, you know, for her murder mystery. And then the phone will ring and it's the boss saying, have you called the opera director yet? You know, so she's in this one, you know, been resistant to like a little bit, you know, setting her ways. Uh, um, about, re- you know, taking on this new responsibility, covering the opera. Um, and eventually she makes a call to the opera, and it turns out to be a great story. They're, uh, you know, they're working from home. The opera kids who are mm. apprentices in Chautauqua, usually in person. And this past year, they each made, uh, and this was true too, is they made a song cycle Uh, describing Mm. how they're coping with the pandemic and they sing sort of this wistful thing, almost like chorus line where the kids are Mm -hmm. singing, I really need this job, you know, and, and how desperate they are to get their careers back on track. 
And so Mimi writes about that for the newspaper, but it actually was what the opera did, which is the young people described sort of how derailed their art career where it was by the pandemic and they made it into a song cycle. So I know it's really that a little off track, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's it's really sad because education as an educator, I do keep track of stuff Mm. and the education has gone down a lot. The kids are not getting what they have to get. I know my nephews and my nieces go to school with iPads. There's no more paper and pencil. There's yeah. no more books. Everything is on the iPad. And, you know, that's not good for your eyes also all the time. When they come home, they're getting a limited amount of homework, not a lot. They're not getting the type of um, extra assignments or longer assignments that they would normally get if they were in school. I know that um, they eat lunch in the lunchroom, and that bothers me because you know, it depends on which kids were vaccinated and which kids were not. So a lot of the schools now, there yeah. was a thing on um, on Google yesterday, there's over 856 schools that are closing or that have COVID or something like that. It is like such because, a hard time to be school-age kid or the parents yeah, of school-age kids. Yeah, it's horrible. Gosh, to be, it, it's, you know, having to, yeah, school one week, school you know, um, disrupted. Uh, I have a two and a half year old grandson, and the kids have just had very little social life, you know, yeah. because of COVID, spending so much time with just parents. And, uh, you know, wonder how it affects them. It, you so, know, my niece sends her, um, sends her daughter to um, a, a daycare. And I worry about Gracie. Well, uh-huh. Gracie's really smart. And I worry about her because the yeah. boys go to school with masks and they're vaccinated. She's three. Yeah. And she's not vaccinated yeah. yet. And at one point they had to close the school right. because one of the teachers. But what really got me was, and this you know, happens when greed and power and all these families, one, there's a mother yes. in Eastchester that sent her kids to school with COVID. She literally knew oh, that they had no. COVID. And she's, yeah. Yeah. So. That's this, really this, irresponsible. Yeah. So this story is about um, money but, and greed and yes. power and family and jealousy and disloyalties. This family needs a lot of help. Yes. So what would you suggest yes, to, to this family, God? I mean, really, do they ever – I don't even know if yes. they come to terms. They don't come to terms with each other, these poor people. I think in the end they may. I'm hopeful oh, that they do, the rem- the survivors. I'm hopeful, but uh, yeah, what a family mess, and you know, just uh, Al was kind of despicable. I mean, if you give him any sympathy, it's that he was, you know, the, in the shadow of his super successful dad, who always criticized, who spoiled him, and then criticized him for being spoiled. So, you know, but he was he was really pretty evil and selfish. And um, the other people, you know, I have more sympathy for. <laughs> uh, well, how do you Amy, how do you I'm create a character that's so evil? That's what I'm trying to learn how to do. How do you create someone that's so evil? And yet, you know, Dick was saying, you know, there's a lot of evil characters. We were talking about that. And yeah, even though they're evil, that. you want them to have some kind of redeeming quality. 
So how do you create a character like Al that everybody hates, and yet you might yeah. feel sorry that he that he died? Why? Well, I wanted him to be very evil, but then I, yeah. you know, somebody said to me, one of my readers, I have like. Um, friends and family read it and then one professional editor and uh, they thought he needed to be more rounded you know as a real person and yeah. so I think if you if you uh, you know to make it more realistic so I think that to um, to make it more realistic you know you have to have a little sympathy for where he came from and also you know I mean I think he was a witty guy so I mean he certainly had wit but basically no I think he's despicable even if he has reasons for being despicable so uh, I just added a little bit of the backstory just to make him seem like a more, more of a real person but I think I don't really want you to like him and miss him <laughs> um, no you know, it's, but you I know, know. I, nobody's going to like yeah. him and miss him but yeah you feel bad because if he died of COVID you would have said yeah he deserved that miserable virus but yeah. when people get yeah. killed, there must there has to be a reason. Yeah. And usually, you don't feel sorry for the dead person. You also, the hardest thing right. also I've I've done in after reading a million books um, is how do yeah. you decide how to kill the person so that nobody realizes who the person is that's killing them. I mean, there are times when you have a prologue yeah. and they you know you know you know who's doing it. And then you say, well, he probably yeah. deserved it. Who cares? But how do you decide yeah. how to kill off a person in a book? I mean, and then you've got a whole bunch of people with, with secrets here. I'm looking at my screen. Morris yeah. and Susie and okay. Carrie and Tom. And you have a whole bunch yes. of people that, you know, want a smack in the head. Yes. Because they're, they're evil. But right. How do, you, how, do you, how do you decide how to kill the person? How do you decide on the weapon so yeah. that it's, it's believable? Right, right, right. That's a very good question. And, uh, you know, the thing is, early on, I was just kind of writing these things a little less consciously. And then somebody said the nicest thing they ever said about the series, which is they called it an Agatha Christie for the text message age. And then I thought, all right, maybe I got to raise my standards to fit that. And what she does is she often has a tricky uh, means of killing someone. And she has a very tricky ending. And I thought, all right, I'm going to try to do more than just have a lot of suspects and one of them did it. I'm going to try to, like, put more forethought into the way they kill someone and Mm -hmm. tricky twist at the end. So, I mean, I would say my latest ones have a trickier twist and a trickier means and so I thought, COVID, yeah, that's kind of cool. Let me see if, you know, I mean, it's tragic and awful, but maybe yeah. it's a good way to hide, you know, to hide a death. And then I thought, all right, if you're going to hide the death through COVID, you'd have to create symptoms that could be similar to COVID, at least, yeah. you know, if somebody were to describe them. So in this, uh, they have... Um, you know, symptoms that don't get as much attention, which is nausea and vomiting. Mm -hmm. And that could also be poison. And actually, uh, you know, so I always wanted to cut both ways to be, could it be COVID or could it also be 
poisoning of some kind. And so that's, I chose the method here so it could possibly be one or the other. Like I wouldn't have them shot because I want it to look like COVID. Yeah, well, you that know, would be boring so anyway. Ends up you walk, okay. If you, had the, if you ever had the the um the vaccine, it's a it's a side effect of uh, of the cup COVID, the nausea of throwing up and fever. As a matter of fact, if you I had yeah. it, had it so bad after the first shot, they actually thought I had COVID. I said, if that's what that feels like, oh my God, it's um, horrible. So that you had what it is as next a for me? To... Yeah, really, a whole week. What's next for me? What is next for Mimi? Okay. And what is next for you? And where can everybody get a plague okay. among us? Oh, boy, there's a lot of plagues out there. You want to read them. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you for asking. Right now, A Plague Among Us is on Amazon um, in, you know, in an ebook or a paperback, and it's at two bookstores in the Chautauqua area, which is the Chautauqua bookstore and a bookstore called Off the Beaten Path. But coming December uh, 29th, I'm doing this. I'm making it available on everywhere, like Barnes and Noble, oh, nice. Kobo, Apple, Google Play. I'm trying to learn how to do that, which is, you know, go wide. They say um, instead of just making it on Amazon. So, but mm-hmm. for now, Amazon, uh, you know, you can find a Plague Among Us and any of the other series uh, books in the series. But I'm working slowly to make all of them available on many platforms. And well, if you do what I just me? did, it's probably there. You just <laughs> yeah, don't know you it. Do? Um, oh, okay. You know something? I didn't even realize it. I didn't. Why am I look so on Apple Books? I don't know how I did because I have the Apple right. app. But if you, if you yes. Google yourself and Google your book, yes. you're going to be surprised. It's right. everywhere. Somebody put it, it on everywhere. Google for me and somebody put, put Prop, okay. Population Zero on Goodreads, I wish they hadn't done that. Um, somebody <laughs> put it on Squid. You can, and if you, you're going to realize that people can yeah. download your book for free. There's all sorts of, of well, you know, yeah, it's scary. Uh, and you, know, you could, they yeah. can download your book so, for I free. So I mean, I try. Um, yeah, I've been un- uploading it gradually to these different places, which is Barnes and Noble. Uh, you know, oh, my and, books are all there. They automatically go there. I don't know why. Just to do one, and now you know, I'm going to gradually get the other ones up there as well. Uh, as far as Mimi, I'm I'm doing this, which is you know, I'm, mm. I am taking an Agatha Christie story called "A Murder oh, is Announced," and I'm reimagining it with Mimi as Miss Marple and mm. Chautauqua as. Shipping on Cleghorn, which is her little town, and I'm about a third of the way done, so I need to pick up my pace to have it done by summer, but that's, I'm always behind this time of year, and um, I'm having so much fun with it. I'm really enjoying sort of a different challenge, which is, you know, reimagining this old uh, story and, you know, putting it in my place with my heroine, so... And as far as me, I'm still working part-time evenings at the New York Post on the copy desk. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure how much longer they'll keep me around. Um, they might, you know, be going more towards digital, which is not something I'm suited to. It's faster. It's, you know, more 
uh, I don't know, I should say slapdash, but they have to turn around a lot of stories very quickly. And I'm just old school. I just take a slower time. I mean, in slower, I mean, 10, 15 minutes as opposed to two minutes. You know, we still work quickly, but the pace of online editing just doesn't suit me. So we'll see how long I last there, uh, but I'm still enjoying that, and I'm very much enjoying my new challenge, and the tentative title is Wicked Schemes, a Chautauqua oh, nice. mystery for the next one. That's... Yeah. What's up for you, Fran? <laughs> Me? You don't want to know. Well, first of all, um, yeah. okay. my Marsha Casper cook is on, and she's a host of A Good Story is a Good Story. She writes really wild stuff, yes. too, and she writes some really hot stuff. And um, Smashwords, yeah. if you go on Smashwords and put your book on Smashwords, they get it out everywhere, too. For oh, me, okay. All right. You don't want to know. Yes. I'm trying to write. I started uh, to write the so new busy. one. It's yeah. called The Last Grave. Seriously. Last and, Grave. Yeah. Okay. The Last Grave. Uh-huh. Yes. There's a man that is a, caused nine people to be buried in unmarked graves. Their names are not on them. Okay. But I'm going to let them. Whoa. I don't know. I haven't. This is my warped sense, more personality. Each one of the dead bodies is going to tell you why they were placed there and what they did. Or maybe they won't. Okay. And then, and then at uh-huh. the end, the man that's in charge of whatever he was ordered by this spirit that if he doesn't find a person for the last grave, it has to be somebody really evil or whatever that, well, he could be the next one in there. You don't know. And I tell us from the point of view of the dead people behind the gravestone. So I I came up with a setting that actually I'm surprised, that actually I think is really great. Now I just have to figure out how to make the character, the main character, evil enough that he wants to do this. Because in a sense, you know, people have a remorse about wanting to... he, He causes their death. All of them. He's behind well, just all about of them. yeah, all yeah. of them uh, in a different okay. way. Well, I love I know set, it's, I love the setting in a graveyard that's really it creepy, is, and each of the sick, dead people speaking. It's, it's a yeah. sick graveyard. It's not a normal one. It's it's dilapidated. It's old. He lives alone, and okay. the cemetery is attached to where he lives, and that's all I got so far. I don't even know. Ooh, and after okay. I'm done with it, I'm going to ask several people that know how to write. <laughs> Um, Lee okay. Matthew Goldberg helped me with po- with Population Zero. He gave me some good ideas. Unfortunately, wow. the publishing company, they did a good job to a point, but not great. The copy editor didn't help me with the content, and Lee helped me fix some of the stuff, but they didn't do anything to, pub- to help me promote it. They did nothing, absolutely nothing. So yeah, I'm on that's tour the way with, it is. That's the world. I'm on tour yeah. with Isabella Blackthorn. And I've gotten some really nasty reviews, and I got some good ones. The only thing they won't do is post a, a negative review if I tell them not to. I don't want to. I don't need them okay. all over Twitter. I've gotten some really interesting yeah. people that understood, and I got most people that have no clue. It's nine worlds that you wouldn't want to live in: a world without sun, okay. a world with darkness, a world with um, cold and you know a, a dilapidated forest, whatever. Yeah. And I invite a dead person to come back and experience the world. And at the end, the dead person said, would you like to join me and live in this world for a day, or will you start acting more responsible in, the, in, in this one? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's a lesson to be learned, okay. what can I say? But I want to yes. thank you so much. Yes. This is this is fun. Oh, Fran, this and, is and a I, pleasure. And I don't think they should yes, get rid of you. Thank you so you. much. 
But everybody, (laughs) everybody, wear a mask outside, stay safe, and you know what? Maybe someday, like I've been saying at the end of every my show, maybe someday we won't need masks and we could see everybody smile again. That would really be nice. Uh, Amen. That sounds great. Everybody have a great day. Deb, stay safe, and bye. Thank you.